Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. You are listening to All of It on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. Booker Prize-winning author Marlon James was not known for fantasy writing before beginning his acclaimed Dark Star trilogy. In fact, he was known for more historical fiction, with novels like A Brief History of Seven Killings and The Book of Night Women. But with his novel Black Leopard Red Wolf, James combines his ability to bring history to life with his expansive imagination, drawing on African mythology and folklore to create an ancient world where vampires, witches, and shape-shifting hyenas are very real. Our protagonist is Tracker, a man with nearly a supernatural ability to hunt down anyone once he's gotten a whiff of their scent. He severed his ties to family and community. His one real friend in the world seems to be Leopard, a man who can shapeshift between being a man and a leopard. Together, Leopard and Tracker are hired to join a mysterious mission, finding a missing boy, dead or alive. Different backstories are given as to who this boy is and how he came to be missing. And as the hunt begins, Tracker begins to suspect that the boy is key to a battle over succession to the Southern Throne, currently occupied by the Spider King. Tracker and his companions, including a very kind, very large man named Sadogo, a witch with ulterior motives named Sogolon, and a man who once betrayed him, travel across the continent in search of this boy, encountering all kinds of terrifying and deadly creatures along the way. But what will really happen once this boy is found? And does he even want to be discovered? Black Leopard Red Wolf was our February Get Lit with All of It book club selection, and the sequel Moon Witch Spider King was published last year. Marlon James joined us for a live in-person Get Lit event at the SNFL Rooftop Event Center. Thanks to everyone who came out. It was really great to see you. I began our conversation by asking Marlon what his initial pitch was for this book. For this, I, you know, I, I came to her around 2015. So this was actually before the booker. No, it was right after, actually. And I said, you know, I have two ideas. I have an idea that makes perfect sense. It's the exact type of people who win a prize should follow up with something in, the, in that same vein, but kind of different. And then I have this really crazy thing that I think nobody would ever read. <laughs> and, you know, it's, and, and I I'm almost don't even want to tell you about it. And, by, and one hour later, she's like, I think you should probably go with the crazy idea. Which was this. Yeah. Um, you That's know, somebody you want to keep around. I yeah, think. I mean, I could have written something practical and sensible, and you know, the, the sort of really boring, but people call it acutely observed, observed, <laughs> acutely observed. I can't even see it right. Observed <laughs> Fort novel, but anyway. <laughs> what fun would that have been? Mm-hmm. Um, once you once you made this call and you thought, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to go do this. Um, when did you realize it was going to be a trilogy? Um. I think I realized pretty early on, one, because I'm a nerd, and if I'm going to write sci-fi, I have to write the trilogy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a totally legit answer. <laughs> um, I, I think it, when I realized that I really wanted to spend considerable time with other characters, mm-hmm. 
And um, usually I, I have a very weird relationship with characters. Like, I, you know, I'm totally promiscuous with characters and I will cheat. And, um, you know, my second novel was pretty much an affair with another character. The mm. original narrator is still waiting on her book. She just came in and stole it, and it became a story about it. You know, it became a story about something else, and and same thing with this. You know, with these, um, you know, with the, with with, um, with this novel as well. That it's it's always, yeah. What changes about what changed about your writing process once you realized it was going mm. to be a trilogy? Um, that's an easier thing to describe, to answer with the second book. Because mm -hmm. for the second book, I basically had to forget everything in the first book. Otherwise, I would have just written a response. And mm -hmm. which, fine, but technically, if if character A hasn't heard a single word character B has said, then he can't be responding to it. That's the, you know, so I had to like shut up and stop being an author and go back to being this kind of eavesdropper. Mm -hmm. And um, and that was one thing to to you know to realize that um, if I'm going to step into a narrator's shoes, I have to believe them. So when I wrote, wrote Black Leopard, I totally believed them, and when I wrote you know the second one, I totally believe her as well. So I think that's certainly something. That's interesting. We did an Instagram poll. We, mm -hmm. we do polls in between, and we asked, "Do you believe Tracker?" A hundred percent said yes. Yeah. I, well, I believed them. <laughs> When and, and I think it's important that I believe them. Um, but with the second novel and eventually the third, I will believe them as well. What were some of your valuable resources when you were researching? Mm, valuable res resources. Um, a lot of African folklore and myth, honestly. Mm -hmm. I think that um, a lot of you know, translated griots stories and so on. And, and I, I think that in a lot of ways gave me a better picture of Africa than, say, a history book. If it was a, and, and I clarify that, if I, you know, because African history and African historical research is is, is on par and it's great. And, and a lot mm. of the stuff I read were contemporary sources. But honestly, if it's an African history book written before 1975, it's useless. Um, it's It's... You know, it's almost like reading old books on African myth written by Europeans. They make it very clear, this is about Jesus, mm -hmm. but we're going to talk about Shango and, and so on. So, so half of the research was being careful with the research hmm. and realizing there's some books you could trust or some things or some you read in the context of when it was, you know, when it was written. So there's a lot of present day research, a lot of, um, you know, the, I said the folklore. Because, you know, I'm writing a fantasy novel, but I'm also writing a world where a lot of those things were considered real. You know, mm -hmm. it says something that we all, every mythology has a dragon. Because we all thought dragons were real. You know, almost every mythology has a great flood. Because we thought, you know, you know, that was real. I spent a lot of time Googling oh, while really? I was reading this book. <laughs> I thought, is this real or is this Marlin? Is this real or is this Marlin? So, you know, I looked up Impendulu, and yes, mm -hmm. the lightning bird yeah. of African lore. What's an example of something that is real, that is something, and then what is an example of something that is purely of your imagination? Um, something that was real is the bull tungi, the shape-shifting hyenas, who have quite the scene in this book. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, you you could almost call them in. You know, you could call. I mean, you could call them a non-binary because they have. You know, they 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 decide on their features, and um and that's totally part of the legend. The Bultungi, the, the shape shifting hyenas, which I think is fantastic. In a lot of African mythologies, the shapeshifters are the cats or cat adjacent. I'll be the hyena is closer to cat than dog, even despite how they look. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there were lions, there were leopards, there were cheetahs. There's no werewolf. Um, so that one, um, one that I made up, God, I, I mean, it, the mythology was so rich, I didn't really have to make anything up. Mm-hmm. Um, the closest I came to making some character up was, um, the, the, the sort of shapeshifter river spirit, Bunchi. But I, then I didn't, because I was just staring at Wangechi Muchu's sculptures mm-hmm. all day, and I was just basically animated one. Um, so it's, it, for me, it's... You know, there is so much, I was discovering so much that the line between creation and just re- using the actual myth available to me was pretty blurred. Um, Tracker, I think I made up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting you brought the canine versus the feline. Mm-hmm. What did you want to explore about the canine versus the feline? I, you know, well... Because there there are wolves in the in you know in in the, in the book and and you know Tracker, you know eventually I mean he's also called Wolf Eye, and um, there is that and also part of it to all was was a corrective against you know I remember somebody um, I was telling the name of the book and he was like there are no wolves in Africa. <laughs> And I was like, and there are no lions in England, which you have it on your coat of arms, don't you? (laughs) Then I go, also, here are six wolves and a jackal who got reclassified as a wolf. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I don't know if I saw, you know, a kind of a divide or a conflict there, especially since basically the wolf and the leopard become, you know, best friends. Um, I think it's sort of a... Certainly for me, I didn't think about it when I was writing it, that these friendships and these bonds are always so unlikely. And, um, you know, I mean, it's a really, really, you know, it's a very queer book. But mm-hmm. the whole idea that fr- families we find and who you invent wasn't something I thought of before mm-hmm. writing the book. It was basically in the midst of, of writing it and realizing, as Tracker did, that he was surrounded by family and didn't even know it. Mm. And that's how some of that, you know, a lot of that happened. There's a lot of maps in the book, mm-hmm. and you drew some of these maps. Did, did I you drew ha- all of them, yeah. Did you have an um, interest, in, interest in cartography? Did you study it at all? No, but I was a graphic designer for a few years. Well, more like 20, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, how that, uh, tell us how that came in handy. Well, you, for, you know, wait, didn't it? Turns out, you know, Photoshop has changed in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Turns out Adobe Premiere is not a thing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, you know, when I left, left, college, left college back in the Stone Age, um, you know, I was writing and I was drawing. And I was always drawing. In fact, if, if you run into any of my friends from high school, they'd assume I was an artist or some graphic designer, mm-hmm. which wasn't false. Um, but I really, the thing I really liked was illustrating. Mm-hmm. And the thing I like about drawing maps is that, Maps become evidence that your world exists in a way, and it, and you you write about setting differently when you think it's established. I don't think you write about you write about mm-hmm. if you live in New York, you're not going to write about New York the way you'd write about Middle Earth, 
But at the same time, you have to get you have to get to the point where Middle Earth feels like a New York to mm -hmm. you, and that's what Maps did. Um, it's it's reminiscing. I think Edith Wharton said this: setting is a definer and a confiner. And I think it's a great it's a great line. And it's true that once I had the maps, I had to follow the maps rules. Mm -hmm. So my mm -hmm. characters can't simply go away for six weeks to that territory. I had to change it. Either they go somewhere shorter or it changes to two years. Um, you know, a character couldn't go south suddenly or it had to go north. And, and just realizing that I had a world and street numbers and so on, mm -hmm. that made me feel more like I was in a real world as opposed to a fantasy novel. It's scaffolding in some mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Uh, where do you start with your world building? Damn. That's a good question, because I don't have a good answer. Um, where do I start? The thing is, I, you, know, you know I start? I always start with characters. I just follow them where they go. Mm -hmm. And wherever they go, I realize, oh, I'm going to have to invent that. Or, wow, that club is going to need a name. Mm -hmm. All right, he's going north, and that, that street is going to need a whatever. Even if I'm, I don't draw a map, I'm, I still kind of do one in my head. How do you keep all the locations and characters straight for yourself? But, I counted. Yeah. There's about seventy-five characters. In this I book. um, I have a you know I have a lot of notes on my wall, mm -hmm. and pictures <laughs> and diagrams and so on. I've been doing it since you know my my second novel because I do write seem to write novels with tons of characters in them. Mm -hmm. um, I will sometimes have a chart up on the wall, and each character has a column just so I know where they are. And what they're doing. Even if it never appears in a book, I need to know what they're doing. Yeah. So, um, and that's what the world is for me when I'm writing. I mean, usually, I mean, I'm, when people talk about how long my books are, I'm like, you got away with murder. You should imagine the, the book in my head is twice as long. <laughs> <laughs> is it organized or is it like Carrie and Homeland? Is it? Um, definitely more organized than Carrie and Homeland. <laughs> It is, you know, the thing is, I, I, you know, I make notes endlessly and I jot down things and I plan out books to the, you know, to the very last scene. Mm -hmm. And then I promptly ignore all of it because that's not real. That ho that's not how real people behave. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, I think one of the reasons also why most of my novels are in first person is that I really just feel I'm hanging along for the ride. And they, and you know, I, for me, for, for me writing, I, I basically throw the book to the character mm -hmm. and they can do whatever the hell they want. Just make sure I have a book I can sell to my editor afterwards. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the, the, the great thing about that is then characters start to do things you don't expect people to do, but they do. People surprise you and people disappoint you. Mm -hmm. and, um, and my characters do that all the time. I'm really not proud of any of them, really, and their actions. Um, they're good people-ish. Yeah. <laughs> we had this, I had this conversation with somebody. I said, well, yeah. know, there's no real villains. There's no real mm. villain in this, which I found interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think, you know, and I, you know, it's funny, I, and I, I'm somebody who really do believe in evil. In fact, I actually teach a class on evil in my writing class. Mm. Yeah, that's what's the syllabus like? Uh, 
Well, it's only one class, not the whole semester. I couldn't do a whole semester on evil. I'd, I'd have to go back to my old job. I was an exorcist in another life, so I have to go back to that. Um, now I've completely forgotten the question because I brought up my past. Uh, we were talking about villains. We were talking about sort of living in the gray area. That's... Yeah, you know, for example, the, the easy is based, I, you know, I, I, it's based quite, I mean, I think anybody who knows anything about um, African mythology and religion, particularly Yoruba and, and the, the um, Dorishas, know Esu or Eshu. Mm-hmm. And Eze is, is, is sort of based on him. And it's easy, it's very lazy when people compare Eshu to Satan, which people a lot of times do. That, that, that's not what Eshu is at all. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, you're closer to saying he's an agent of chaos than, than mm-hmm. saying he's a devil. But the, again, the whole idea of good and bad, evil and, 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 and you know, righteous is, is, is not that it's debatable, it's that a lot of it is perception. That's why I said, I believe Tracker, even though Tracker becomes the villain of book two, um, and Suglam was kind of the villain of book one. But when I read the, wrote the second one, I believe her. Um, because it's not, this is just not black and white. There are, a, there are a lot of good people who do terrible things and a lot of people who make terrible choices. And there are people who, for the most part, do wicked things and then you realize why they're doing it and you have, to, you have this always complicated relationship with them. And I think that's ultimately what it is, that you're not, you're not going to end up with an easy relationship with any character, even a hero. Tracker learns early on the book that his family is not what he thought. He thought his father, his father is actually his grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, his father died avenging the death of Tracker's brother when he was younger. How does this information affect the way Tracker moves through the world and interacts with others? It totally affects the way he moves, um, you know, in the world. Um, but I don't think he realizes it. Tracker ultimately mm-hmm. was looking for family. And uh, and I don't think he realized it, as I said before, until he was in the middle of it. Um, yeah, it's it's um, to realize one, he's in a family where there was you know contempt, abuse, um, you know denial of whoever who who was what, and he didn't realize what a source of the resentment was. Mm-hmm. You know, if he, you know, to realize that your father is actually your grandfather. I go, but as definitely my mom and my grandfather, what is going on in that room? Um, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it throws him off, and it throws him off as to what exactly is family. The thing about Tracker is he doesn't name any of this. Um, I think the reader picks up on it that he's mm-hmm. rootless and he's looking for the you know the, the first time he comes across a substitute fa- father as a person says, "Call me beloved uncle." I'm like. You know, the fact that he said you have to call him beloved uncle all the time, he should have tipped you off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but he, you know, he, he would never, if, if, Tracker is a person, if you'd asked him that he was searching for a father figure, he'd said absolutely not. Yeah. And later on, if you said, are you a father? No, he'd go, absolutely not. But he is. So we're experiencing the world through Tracker's eyes, but also through his nose, mm-hmm. because he's got this sense of smell where he can find anybody through his nose. Um, so you write a lot about smells. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, did you do any research into the way ol- the olfactory system works and the way it affects behavior? And, and what's mm-hmm. the key to getting a smell on the page? <laughs> well, I, I got to say, I actually, I'm interested in smell. 
um, I, you know, I, I, I taught a class once on 9-11 novels, and the first thing I asked the class when I went in is, what do you think 9-11 smelled like? I can tell you. Yeah. I can tell you. It's, it's, um, smell. I yeah. remember it. Yeah. I was a reporter. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, I don't think people, certainly, you know, before I bring it up, realize hmm. the, the, that smell is something, smell is something very subtle, but smell is also something quite visceral. And smell is sometimes the, the you know, how you realize you're in a 3D situation. Um, scent also is, evokes nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's you know sent for for tracker is um, a way of you know identifying. I think part of this also happened once. So back in 2015, I mean, it was still you know the Booker and people wanted to talk to me, and um, <laughs> I had a the, the as great visit from one of the directors of the Royal Society for the Blind, and he wanted to commend me on the book. Because he liked that there were so many other senses in there other than sight. And mm-hmm. it never occurred to me, one that I had a blind readership, that visually impaired people depend a lot on audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, audiobooks is read by a librarian. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they go home with a cassette or whatever. But it, it's, it, it, it's, it, I, I don't think I ever thought about it deliberately before he pointed it out. That... Um, the world, the world he experiences is not the world sighted people experience. And I think it's very easy to just go for visual mm-hmm. when you're writing. And he was a reminder for me that, that there is more and that these different scents can tell you different things and different sound and so on. So I became more and more conscious of that, honestly, after talking to him. We'll have more of my conversation with Marlon James, plus questions from our audience after a quick break. This is all of it. You are listening to all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. Let's continue my conversation with Booker Prize-winning author Marlon James about his novel Black Leopard, Red Wolf. It was our February Get Lit with All of It book club selection. And as always, our readers and audience members had some great questions for Marlon. You'll hear that in just a bit. But first, here's more of my interview with Marlon James. One of the most complicated relationships in the book is between Tracker and Leopard. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they seem like friends. Tracker might sometimes feel like he might have love for Leopard. Mm-hmm. At times they're enemies. W- why is that relationship so complicated? Because relationships are complicated. Um, and I knew I wanted a complicated relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, man, you, there was a part of it where Leopard was a little bewitched, and I won't tell the way in which he was. Um... But I, I, you know, I, I knew I wanted, if it's going to be that long a book, that that relationship would go through all sorts of evolutions and devolutions and so on. Mm-hmm. And that um, they would, you know, I, don't, I, I knew they would fall out and get back together and it wouldn't be the same as it was before and so on. Because, again, I think even with, with fantasy novels, you have to ground yourself in, in reality, I think. Mm-hmm. And ground yourself sometimes in real lived emotions. One of the reasons why, you know, I you know, worship at the altar of Buffett the Vampire Slayer is because 
Buffy, you know, because of Buffy's fantastical premise, they had to ground that thing in gut truth, mm-hmm. which is what, and I rem- and I realized uh, that's one of the things I had to remember writing, you know, fantasy. You know, you have to ground this in real experience, and real people fall out. And sometimes, it, you know, the friendship is rekindled and it's the same. A lot of time, it's not. Mm-hmm. And I had to remember that even though it's a world with dragons and so on and it's fantasy for me, it's not fantasy for the characters. It's their world. That's their reality. And I had to remind myself of that. Of all the creatures that you created in this book, which one would you be most terrified to face? I never want to face any of them. Those ceiling walkers, man. The ceiling walkers, yeah, they, they, Omaluzo, yeah, they were, they're pretty bad. They're, <laughs> they're pretty, pretty bad. They're also one of the first ones I created, I think. Um, yeah, but, you know, I, I you know, they're, um, the Adze to me is probably the worst. Because the interesting thing about African vampires, two things I love. One, unlike Wussy European vampires, they have no problem with daylight. <laughs> <laughs> so if that's your grand plan to run out into the sun, got news for you. <laughs> because we're Africans, we don't do that booth. That booth that the other thing, the, you know, the, the, but they also draw blood in different ways. So the Adzi, the, the thing about Adzi that particularly grossed me out when I was writing it is Adzi turns into a, bu- into a swarm of bugs. And then the mm-hmm. bugs burrow into your skin and drink everything and mm-hmm. then fly off and reform. And I'm like, Dracula, eat your heart. Oh. <laughs> we we have, definitely have the, the vampire thing. But, you know, like in, in um, one of the things about writing this and, and, and forgetting Europeanness, which is hard because most of my fantasy is European, is... Even the way in which I associate and may ha- and the way in which the, the way in which words of connotations had to change. For example, in in some of the myths of the Sahel region, midnight is called the noon of the dead. Hmm. And when I said the noon of the dead, most people you have you immediately attached certain things to it, even if you think it's a good thing. You never think it's good in a sexy New Orleans kind of way, mm-hmm. but you're still thinking it's a sexy vampire or <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And and that's none of those. And none of that actually applies. Mm-hmm. You know, midnight is a great time for me because that's when my ancestors come out. And instead of my mom who keeps saying go into my room, my cool grandpa is mm-hmm. now in the room, and I can go, dude. Yeah. So it's 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 it, all the, the the things that we we associate with say twelve midnight don't apply. At the same time, mm-hmm. twelve noon is a terrifying time of day. Because vampires see you clearer. So, so the whole idea, so 12 noon is when some people could lock up and hide. And just remember, for me, one of the things while writing this book, I had to remember I had to also completely change my whole, the mythological viewpoint that I have about even just what, what is real and what, what we should feel about certain things. Let's get some microphones into the audience while I ask a few more questions. All right. Uh, my favorite character in the book is Ogo, the very, Aww. very large man. Yeah. You do not call a giant. That's impolite. Uh, <laughs> but this character, you know, this gentle giant, we see it a lot in, mm-hmm. in literature. I, I hope you take this as a compliment. I went mm. to Chewbacca for a minute. Yeah. Um, why is 
do you think that Tracker can be very tender mm-hmm. with Ogo when he's not necessarily able to be that kind of tender with mm. other people? I think because Tracker is always thinking somebody wants something or wants something from him. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, why wouldn't he? He's a mercenary. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, yeah. part of that is his fault. fault you know? but, and, and Ogo really doesn't want anything. Um, the thing also I like about Ogre is the gentle, usually in, in, in fantasy, the gentle giant is a person of few or no words. So I knew my character would not shut up. There's a great, and if you haven't read it yet, there's about three pages of yeah. Ogo talking and there's no space. <laughs> like there's no paragraphs. It just it's, keeps it's, going. I knew, yeah, I knew from I saw Ogo in my head that this was not going to be, you know, I am Ogo. <laughs> right. He's a person who you do not ask how was your day. <laughs> and Tracker makes a mistake of asking him that, and it takes him all night before Ogo finally shuts up. And that's kind of when I fell in love with him, when I knew he was this, this big 10, 15-foot, whatever, chatterbox. Love that guy. <laughs> I love that guy. Let's see. Um, are our mics in the audience? Let's see if we have some questions from the audience. So you mentioned the audiobook, which is how I consumed this novel. So mm-hmm. I missed the part about how Ogo uh, talked. I was wondering how much input you have into the choice and the selection of the narrator, because mm-hmm. for me, his voice really allowed me, I think, to inhabit Tracker mm-hmm. far more than my internal voice would have mm-hmm. if I had read it on the page. So I was wondering about the process of that. Yeah. So one thing I do, I'm, I'm sure I'm the only person that do it. Every time I say I do it, people look at me weird. I actually read along to audiobooks. See? Because yep. that way I can finish a book in a week and still retain it. As opposed to when I go off and read on my own and I'll take four months to read a book. Or I listen to an audio and kind of forget what's important. Um, so that's why, yeah, I most of, for pretty much all the audiobooks I've done, um, they sent me a bunch of tapes, basically an audition, really. And I go through all of them and decide on who. I know it's not going to be me. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, so it is a process. So it is uh, go through like a bunch and pick one or so, and 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 so far they've been great. I have a question about the artwork. How did you choose the artwork, and did you decide it, or did your team decide the artwork, or how did you choose mm. the cover artwork? You mean? Yeah. Um, it, actually, the team kind of decided and and hoped I would like it, and it's this artist um, Pedro Camacho. Who also mm-hmm. does, um, oh my God, what is her name? Things We Lost in the Fire author. Mariana Enriquez. He also does Mariana Enriquez's paperbacks as well. Um, and yeah, I saw it and I just fell in love with it. Um, because one thing I was very weary of is somebody sent me one of these sort of stereotypical African covers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to see a lion in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to call that tree that I completely blanked out now, but it's on every single <laughs> movie about Africa. What's that tree they always use? Oh. The acacia. Thank you. It's like no acacia, no sunsets, <laughs> absolutely nothing. Bingavana Wainana warned us about. Yeah. Um, and when I saw that, that it, you know, it, it sort of plays with the fantastical without being too fantastical. I also like that it looks sort of like the cover for a graphic novel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, I saw and fell in love and he's going to do all three. He's done two so far. 
Um, just really quick, I just wanted to say as a queer black person, thank you uh, for this story. Thank um, you. It reminded me of how much I love to read. Um, but my question really quick, you did say earlier that um, you just throw the story to the character. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is, what character surprised you the most? Um, mm-hmm. And why? Um, you know, I, I think, God, well, certainly Tracker surprised me because I didn't really know a lot. And, and um, I, was thought, I was talking before about characters usually seizing control of the book. Car- the, when I started writing Black Leopard, Tracker was not the main character. He kind of showed up, and again, because I have no moral standards and I'm totally promiscuous, I cheated on the character this book was about and went off with Tracker. Um, so a lot of Tracker surprised me. Actually, you know, Tracker's queerness actually surprised me. Because then I, I didn't think about that in the, in the, uh, when I was writing him, and it didn't make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And I was also doing a lot of research on queerness in Africa at the time and, and just how much of, um, you know, I, I, I said to sometimes to black Americans, you ever notice how, how sometimes without thinking you address a single person as them? You know, so we've been calling single people plural forever. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that comes from? And honestly, doing some of that research, that's where I saw it come from. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that queerness and otherness and identity and whatever we want to call these things have always. We've always it's funny that we, we, we kind of always had that until a bunch of TV preachers told us that we didn't. Um, but I'm not going to preach on this pulpit here. <laughs> to go back to answering the question. So Tracker, a lot of Tracker's stuff surprised me. Tracker's bad habits and stuff surprised me. Um, who else? Sogolon also, because I thought she was going to be just the typical old wise woman and talk about agent of chaos and mm-hmm. the things. So that, you know, all the, to an extent, all the characters surprised me. It's not that I'm going, as I said, it's not that I'm going to writing a book with a blank, blank slate. I mean, I will, I will plot the crap out of anything. <laughs> um, I'm censoring myself for the radio audience. <laughs> uh, we have a bleep button. It's okay. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's, it's, I, was, well, I completely lost track of what I was, I was about to say. Just saying that um, I you know, leave a lot of leeway for my characters to surprise me. So in a way, they, all, they really all did. A good writing day for me is when I go, well, I didn't see that coming. Mm. <laughs> so the sequel, mm-hmm. Moon Witch, Spider King, uh, was sold on always going to be the narrative mm-hmm. always okay yeah. can you set this up for us so in in this story in so Sogolam, the the, mm-hmm. the moon witch in the title tells her version of the story and the first thing about her version of the story is that for her tracker's version is just a blip because tracker doesn't understand what's going on and, and Sogolam, you know Sogolam's story for a huge part starts in a royal court and it's almost you know it's me trying to do some sort of fantastical wolf hall because um, I'm obsessed with that novel, um, but but and and it's you know how it's about how Sogolum cut in 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 Black Leopard Red Wolf. It seems as if Sogolum is Sogolum is the first character to enter with an agenda. In in Black Leopard Red Wolf, in in Moonlit Spider King, you see how much of that was not the case, hmm. and how she kind of fell into it, and how. What really was driving her all this time was not finding the boy; it was vengeance, and unlike and and her vengeance was going on for nearly two centuries, 
So it's about that. It's about, you know, a, a woman who refuses to be anything anybody call her. Incidentally, she doesn't call herself Moon Witch. She's like, you know what? I don't feel like killing the people who are calling me this this time. But <laughs> but that's, you know, it's it's a name bestowed on her. It's not one she calls herself. Mm-hmm. And um and it's, and that's what it's about. The the actual events of Black Leopard don't don't even happen until the last fifth of the novel, which just shows what kind of stakes you know Sogolon was playing with. That was my conversation with Booker Prize winning author Marlon James. His novel Black Leopard Red Wolf was our February Get Lit with All of It book club selection. The sequel titled Moon Witch Spider King is out now. <laughs> 